So on this episode of the Penultimate Podcast, we're going to take a look at the first ever case study on two-foot approach mechanics on full approach vertical. I'm a little bit biased. This is a case study that I put together with my buddy Ricky Norton and Tyler Standiford, and it's something that's been on my mind for many, many years. I'd been hypothesizing about how this would go, and we're going to dive into the results of this case study, how the case study was thought of, how it was put together, and more of the details surrounding that. So stay tuned. The penultimate podcast is powered by Project Pure Athlete. Visit projectpureathlete.com and check out the complete line of PPA training and technique products. All products are created by the Jump Guy and have been used and endorsed by coaches and athletes worldwide. Jump higher, train smarter. You are now listening to the penultimate podcast with the Jump Guy, Tyler Ray, powered by Project Pure Athlete. Jump higher, train smarter. So we're back, and this is podcast week three in a row. We're staying on track. I'm super excited about that. I wanted to dive in. This has been kind of a very um, kind of cathartic last handful of weeks because I've been fortunate enough to be able to conduct a case study that has been on my mind for many, many years. Um, And with my buddy Ricky Norton, more importantly, with a friend, I think that's probably the most, um, you know, fun part of this whole entire experience is to be able to share this with someone else that is as passionate as I am about athletic performance. Uh, Maybe not necessarily as much in in the field of jumping. I'm not sure many, many people are. Um, But let's get into some of the particulars about this case study and kind of where it was formulated from and how it ended up uh, to be. So I've been in this space now for going on 15 years and right out of the kind of the conception of my career, I knew it was on my bucket list to have a study and to more importantly have a published study that was in a scientific journal. Um, So this is something that I've been working to for many years and not rushing the process because it's something that I think that too many people do too quickly is kind of assume that they they belong amongst the, the Goliaths too early in their career. And it's not to say that I think I I belong amongst the Goliaths of the athletic performance world. It's just that I've had this kind of kicking around upstairs in the brain for so long, and I wanted to see what the data says, what the data says about two-foot jumping and the mechanics and how that really influences that full approach vertical. This is an area, you know, I'd searched for years and years for, you know, for case studies and anything to cite the effects of, of two-foot mechanics on jumping and jumping uh, efficiency. And there's nothing out there. I mean, the, the case studies that exist in the world of jumping are, are largely in the space of uh, counter-movement jumps, drop jumps, depth jumps, and really just looking at force application in general. But there was nothing on how the, the mechanics of a jump influence the output. Like, why and how do the best jumpers in the world do what they do? What's different from a from a technical standpoint that allows them to be able to uh, demonstrate their their full vertical at such a high high level? So this is something that I you know had been on my mind, and it was really more so how to actually conduct this. This required some pretty fancy equipment, and you know we've talked about this before. As much as I'm rooted in science, I don't necessarily consider myself a scientist. 
you know, I, I think the, the data and the metrics that surround performance are, are very fascinating. I love to, you know, read up on, on kind of the latest research, but when it comes to the day-to-day of what I do, I live in the space of, of coaching and, and more so communication than anything else. So I needed somebody that was more, you know, had dove a little bit further into this space than I had. And Ricky, thankful enough, um, had not only the equipment to be able to conduct this study, but the wherewithal to get a hold of Tyler Standiford, um, who is an assistant professor of biomechanics, and be able to kind of control the parameters around which uh, this case study exists. Because that was the biggest thing was like how how to set this up. We're gonna it's gonna require, you know, more than one force plate. Thankfully, Ricky had more than one force plate. I mean, this this setup to this study alone is an investment, and and I'd be um, remiss if I didn't say how appreciative I am um, of Ricky and the team there and Tyler for helping me um, to bring this to fruition. Because other th- without them, this is just an idea, and these are just hypotheses, and. I think more than anything is like, you know, we, we live in a largely, especially this space of vertical jump technique has been, it's anecdotal in the sense that these are, these methods that I put together and these principles that I've kind of placed um, where they are really hadn't been validated by any type of, you know, uh, structured scientific research. These were more so based on social proof, social evidence, and the fact that I I do this on a day-to-day basis and they were working. So I was confident that the data would read something relatively, you know, in the area of, of what I'd expected. So the way we set this case study up was we we're fortunate enough to be able to run this in parallel to this year's dunk camp. And the dunk camp, for those of you that aren't aware, is basically a yearly um, culmination of some of the the best jumpers in the world that are either aspiring professional dunkers and or are current professional dunkers. They get together for um, a week in Utah. I go down to coach jump technique and to help coach the camp in general. So we thought, what better platform to be able to do this than with some of the highest jumpers in the world. So we were able to get a group of, we called elite group of jumpers. This elite category had tested 48 inches or higher on their full approach vertical in the pre-test two days prior. Uh, the camp starts with a pre-test where they go through you know, the counter movement jump, a full approach jump, they go through a drop jump, they do RSI testing, they do a bunch of different you know lateral hurdle hops, uh, broad jump, they go through a wide variety of tests and all this data is taken down. So we grab kind of what we consider to be an elite category. Um, these are the people that stand out. These are the people that you see on social media and share with your friends, the ones that have these astronomical verticals. We then had an advanced category to be able to compare to. These were the athletes that had tested anywhere between 40 and 45 inches in their full approach vertical. These are athletes that would be considered phenomenal jumpers, but in terms of that like top top uh, part of that echelon there these these athletes are kind of just below that range still very impressive by nature but we wanted to see what differences there were between these two groups in terms of how they um, initiated their jump from a technical standpoint and then the numbers that read out on these force plates and what happened was these athletes would approach for so we put up two force plates in succession so normally these force plates 
force plates sat side by side, you know, one foot on either plate where athletes would perform counter movement jumps. You'd be able to see like independent, independent limb output. Um, but what we wanted to do was set this up appropriate for, for a full approach two foot vertical, which is going to be that one foot, the plant foot is going to apply the first force plate. And then the second leg would transition past the first force plate onto the second for a block. And we needed to have these staggered in such a way that would be appropriate to their technique. So luckily we were able to arrange the force plates a little bit differently to be able to um, allot for the parameters of this test. We then ran a high-speed camera perpendicular to their approach so we could watch a side angle of their approach to be able to take some angle measurements using our semi-motion capture. And um, it, it was just a phenomenal setup. The athletes we selected were more than uh, you know geek to be part of this case study. We had them fully warmed up, and they each got three attempts onto the force plates where we were able to look, obviously, at their uh, mechanics. What we were looking at specifically, and kind of the, the focus of this case study was to examine the effects of the penultimate stride. So that's the second last stride, or the setup stride, um, or as I like to call it, more so the the gatekeeper into that plant sequence. And then we looked at the trunk angle. So the torso angle or the angle created at the hip um, at peak forces of that initial plant foot. So when that first foot makes full contact and that force is at its highest peak, we wanted to take a look at that trunk angle. And the reason that I wanted these examined was that the hypothesis was the greater the relative length of penultimate as well as less trunk flexion would correspond with the elite group or the higher jumpers would express a longer relative stride and less hip flexion during that um, contact point of their plant foot. So we were looking at those parameters. We also took a look at, um, you know, peak uh, concentric and eccentric forces of both both contact points, and then we also took a look at um, the takeoff angle itself. So if we kind of plug a little bit further into this case study, we had in the elite group we had uh, Jordan Kilgannon, we had Jonathan Clark, um, and we had my man Tomcat who um, at last year's dunk camp had the highest vertical tested at 49 inches. So we had a 49 and a half, a 49 and a 48 inch vertical respectively. So very, very, um, you know, world-class two-foot jumpers. We also had in our advanced group, we had Steven Selly, um, we had my, my homeboy Mick, who is a strength coach out of Phoenix and also a phenomenal um, shorter jumper at five foot five. And then we had dunk legend uh, Terry Cornier, aka T-Dub in there as well, who would in his prime would have definitely been in the elite category. But as he's aged up, um, he falls into that advanced category at um, a little bit more of a, an advanced age. He doesn't share the age, so I'm not going to speculate on that. So we'll keep moving forward here. But the way it was used was we actually had the three approaches for or, uh, three tries for each of the athletes. We then took down all of the uh, the data that corresponded to those jumps and translated these over to our data points. So this study is now available. Uh, on my website through my blog post. This is something that is available. Um, if you follow my personal Instagram, which is um, at 
the jump guy. There's underscores between the uh, jump and jump and guy. And you can check that out. There's a link there as well. You can DM me through any of my social media platforms. I'd be happy to share that with you. And I'll be honest with you, I'm still trying to figure out how to make it accessible just going to the website. <laughs> I manage and handle a lot of my um, tedious back-end stuff that is not in my wheelhouse. So I'm just still figuring this out as we move forward. Uh, but what we found out, so let's get into the results. It's something that I, I assumed, and I was worried, I'll be honest with you. I was worried what the data would say because this, again, like my work was hinging on the fact that these things lined up. I've been teaching jump technique a certain way. And there was a part of me that was hesitant about doing the case study because I, I think it was a fear of finding out that I was doing things incorrectly. But for the advancement of, of athletic performance, which is the kind of the global goal of all of this, I knew it had to be done. I knew regardless of the results, this would enlighten me and give me a, a snapshot into um, jump technique from a, from a uh, data points um, standpoint. And what we found was that the elite group covered 23% more distance through their penultimate stride. So this relative, so we made sure that these athletes' heights were uh, sourced so that this was relative length. Obviously, someone with longer um, limbs wouldn't necessarily, uh, or sorry, shorter limbs wouldn't necessarily be able to cover quite as much distance, um, but this is relative length. The elite group also displayed less trunk flexion during the contact of their peak loading of their lead or their plant foot. And this was the point where when I saw this, this data come back and we were, we were going through and kind of picking it apart that my eyes opened wide and um, I became very, very happy because this concept of staying tall through the penultimate stride was something that I had coached so um, adamantly um, for the last, you know, however many years I've been coaching this now. And it's something that has been largely argued by many, many coaches, um, mainly volleyball coaches. Volleyball coaches mean well. A lot of these old school volleyball coaches are uh, a product of having been taught a certain way. And the concept that they pass forward is, you know, um, get low to get high and make sure you bring that trunk forward so that you can um, rapidly extend at the hip and obviously jump higher. Now from a you know, potential energy standpoint, flexing at the trunk and extending at the trunk, you know, the further you're able to flex, obviously a greater range of motion from extension. But we have to really take a look at the orientation of our center of mass and specifically through uh, uh, male athletes, because the center of mass lies up in the chest region, is that as we take that center of mass further forward, we take... The, the large part of our weight further forward, which means that our contact points or, or where we're pr propelling ourselves off the floor from would also have to come forward to match that or else the angle of takeoff becomes shallower. We get a, a larger ground contact time with a flexed trunk. And a larger ground contact time means as we had introduced kind of horizontal speed into the equation, for every second we spend on the ground or even or even fraction of a second, what's happening is the athlete's momentum is still shifting them forward, meaning they have these two fixed contact points, but the center of mass is still traveling forward. So as that center of mass travels forward, further and further, longer and longer on the ground, when they do finally tow off, what we find is that the 
angle of ascent becomes shallower. And the, and the goal here is really to find out how mechanics affect our ability for our peak vertical or jump our highest. So we need to be able to transition horizontal velocity vertically um, in, in relatively quick a time as possible. Obviously, we're still paying attention to the fact that certain athletes will require, depending upon the, the, the um, style of jumper, archetype of jumper they are, will require certain lengths of ground contact in order to source um, the relative amount of power they have. We have more, we have a, um, a, a jumper that would be considered to be a power jumper off of two feet. Um, that's typically one that requires a little bit more ground contact to get a lot lower into their plant sequence. And then we have more of a reactive jumper, uh, which would transition through their plant sequence quicker, much more plyometric in nature, much more reactive. Um, this is an athlete that would require um, higher amounts of speed in order to get vertical off their um, or through their plant sequence itself. So what we're finding is that no matter what type of jumper we have, the higher, because in, in our elite category, um, we have some variations of jumpers amongst those three athletes. So they're not all jumping exactly the same way in terms of what they, what they are more reliant upon. What we have is more so the characteristics of the, of the back end mechanics. We have the, the penultimate stride is, is longer. It's covering more distance. And when I say longer, it doesn't necessarily mean that the, the athlete's legs are split apart incredibly far. It means that they're covering a great amount of distance on that stride. That stride helps the athlete to lower their center of mass into that plant, uh, but it also helps to carry and accentuate that acceleration um, aspect of their approach. The elite group was also 30% faster to produce peak force than the advanced group, which is cool to see. Obviously, from a an output standpoint, it would be hypothesized that a better jumper would obviously get to, to their peak forces faster. But again, this is something that we're get we're grabbing these little pieces of information because this is the the first case study that's examining these parameters specifically. We want to make sure that we get even the even the basic metrics that we can refer back to. Right, that peak force is achieved quicker. The loading rates were 35% faster in the elite group. So the speed at which they load uh, that power is faster. The elite group had an 8% higher concentric force on their plant foot, which makes sense. Obviously, the, the amount of extension they're going to be able to produce from that plant foot is going to be higher based on, on sheer strength. But what we find is, is that the eccentric forces on the plant foot are actually a little bit lower. And when that data point came through, took me a moment just to kind of think a little bit about why. Like, why would the elite jumper have less eccentric loading forces on their lead or their plant foot? Well, it's that they're carrying their speed more efficiently through their plant into their block, meaning that they're transitioning, they're losing less acceleration, which means the braking forces are a little lower. So we find with the advanced athletes is that that braking force being slightly higher will actually kind of create a little bit of, uh, of a disconnected nature in the athlete as they transition through their plant foot into their block foot. But the block force eccentric readings were very high in the elite group. Um, I mean, there are some outliers amongst the advanced group, but the average states that we had about a 15% higher force on their block foot in the elite group. So all of these numbers readings were higher. It was the thing that was the most 
I think important in terms of this case study is to examine the, the length of penultimate and then the, the trunk angle at contact of that plant foot because those, those are what we really are looking for in terms of the technical elements as we coach and we cue athletes through these the Project Pure Athlete methods. It's just important to, to have that a bit of wherewithal to know that these cues are for a reason, right? Like they're, in my mind, staying tall through the penultimate, so through that initial push, help to facilitate that center of mass staying back, that a bit of a taller torso upon, upon contact of that plant foot. It also allowed the athlete to achieve, we call a stacked position a little bit quicker in our plant sequence, which is where we kind of align axially, um, you know, the three like major um, areas of the body being the ankle, the hip, and the shoulder that really controls the the toe off angle. What we find is that if you draw a line of action through the plant foot upon basically full triple extension on takeoff. So as the athlete's toe is just about to leave the ground, if we freeze frame that, if you create a, a starting point at the plant foot and you draw a straight line through the athlete's center of mass that will constitute that angle of action on takeoff the angle they take off they'll travel they'll follow that line very very um, fluidly all the way to the peak or apex of the jump before they shift off of that line so being able to affect the the trajectory of that line lies in the organization of the center of mass in relation to that plant foot basically upon application of that break. Because we know that the plant foot is more so primary um, concentric force. It's for pushing. It's the power source. And then the block or that last stride is a breaking force. That is, it has readings that are much higher than the plant foot from a breaking standpoint, from an eccentric standpoint. So it's very, it was just, it was it's hard to explain. It was just very cool to be able to be there in that setting, knowing that, you know, knowing how far I've come over the last handful of years to say I'm sitting here at a, uh, you know, at a lab that's set up for a case study that will be mine. And this is something that I'm looking to um, propose to the American College of Sport Medicine to be able to present it at the Southeast chapter down in Florida next year because the, the, the goal is to have this published and um, we have a we have more case studies in the pipeline right now, but this one to get out of the way, this was the first one that I I had on my mind for so long. I'd been Ricky and I had been talking about it, f you know, for about a year since I'd introduced this concept to him when I went down to the dunk camp initially, and being there this year, and then him saying, "Well, why don't we just do this right now? Like you're here, <laughs> right? We're here." Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 I'm at a bit of a loss for words. It's funny because like, I know that this will be built upon and, and more and more data will be accumulated surrounding this. And it's not a huge case study, but this is such a, a monumental moment of my professional career. Um, to know that this is something that I was able to put together through my own passion and my own, I guess, stubbornness is really the way to put it because I, I wouldn't have let it slip. It was going to happen regardless. It was going to happen one of these days. So that was kind of the basis and premise to this um, to this case study. It's available to read through um, through my uh, blog on Project Pure Athlete. So if you go projectpureathlete.com slash blog, 
you'll be taken to a blog post. I think it still says fitness blog. It shouldn't say fitness blog. I'm trying to change that. I'm so bad at WordPress. I'll be honest with you. Uh, but what you do is you scroll down just a, you know, a couple a couple seconds down the page and there's a link there to uh, the case study. There's a video that I created uh, with the actual uh, recordings from the case study to show you, give you a little bit of context and I'd urge you to go over and take a look at that video. Read through the PDF that's below. You can click and, and uh, download the PDF to read through. And uh, let's just keep moving this industry in the right direction. Sport performance, there's, there are holes in it still. And what I've been trying to do is kind of fill the void of jump technique. You know, this is something that I've, I've seen too many times become ignored, right? It's like, why has jump technique been ignored? Why has it been, you know, it's suspected that all you need to do is get stronger? Like, yes, you absolutely need to get stronger. You absolutely need to get more powerful, faster, more stable. All of those elements are extremely important. But if we're not practice, practicing the efficiency of movement, right, we're, we're leaving things in the tank. And it doesn't, you know, it's, it used to surprise me how dramatic of a result I could get out of athletes by implementing elements of technique, um, all the way from like positional elements to mentality surrounding jumping. It used to surprise me, it doesn't surprise me anymore. It's just that this has been vastly misunderstood and ignored for a long time. This is something that I brought kind of to the forefront of the industry um, a few years ago something that I've been working on for many, many years. And it's something that I know that a lot of people now are benefiting from. All I ask, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a coach and you've been playing around with two foot jump technique and you know, you've come across my stuff and you've post some stuff using jump technique, all I ask is that if you found something through Project Pure Athlete, through myself that has worked for you, you just give it a little bit of love. <laughs> it doesn't take away anything from you as a coach. I think that's the one thing that I'm getting a little bit frustrated with is finding people that have clearly sourced my material. I mean, down to the exact same cues. I understand maybe certain movements looking similar, um, but when there's the same nomenclature, same language being used to describe the work, um, it's, it's suspect. I mean, I have the only... Uh, two foot and vertical jump technique coaching certification that has been launched. It was successfully launched last weekend with the class number one. We had athletes, or sorry, coaches from all over the world come in and become certified as a Project Pure Athlete Level One coach. And I think all all I want out of this is to spread this information as far as possible, is to get it into as many hands as possible. And selfishly, yes, I would love to know that. I've received the appropriate amount of accolades for the work and passion and time I've put into this. I don't think that's too much to ask. I love that people get better use, using the methods. But what I don't like is when somebody tries to piggyback it in order to better themselves professionally. Like all it does is is damage the industry. It does it does literally does a coach no good not to mention the fact that they've they've received this from me. Because all it's going to do is come back around and bite them in the ass. People are smart, very, very smart. So I urge you that if you're a coach or if you know of somebody that's doing this, just to be aware of it. Um, I tend to stay out of being too negative, especially around social media. That can be a dangerous road um, to walk or path to walk. I just, 
I I'm legitimately a full-time vertical jump technique coach. That's that's what I do for a living. Like if you're someone that does something and then does a little bit of jump technique, um, and you and you found the work useful, and you or you found it from me, or you found it from someone else who clearly found it from my work. Just do some research before you throw something up and say, "Look what I've been doing," or "Look what I created." Like that, it, it makes me scratch my head a little bit. And uh, I'm not sure why I'm getting down this path right now. It's just been on my mind. I don't really talk about it. I try not to, but you know what? I'm done kind of holding it in. It bothers me. I'm going to let it slide. I'm going to also um, take, I guess, take this as a, a bit of a snapshot into um, what social media could be. You know what I mean? I've, I've utilized it the right way, I think, um, to be able to grow and facilitate change and education. Um, but there are some people that utilize it for different means, and that's fine. Um, that's you. That's on you. Anyhow, anyhow, this could go. This could go on for for too long. If you enjoyed this episode of the Penultimate Podcast, make sure you subscribe. Give it a five star rating. It helps the podcast out. Helps more people find it. Please share it uh, with coaches or athletes that you think could benefit from this. Go check out the other episodes. Uh, I'm going to try to keep dropping one every single week here. Um, but from me, from Tyler Ray, the CEO, the head coach, the man in charge here at Project Pure Athlete, I want to say thank you for joining me today. This is a quick one. Go check out the case study. Go check out, let me know what you think, and uh, we'll catch you in the next one. See you later, guys. The penultimate podcast is powered by Project Pure Athlete. Visit projectpureathlete.com and check out the complete line of PPA training and technique products. All products are created by the Jump Guy and have been used and endorsed by coaches and athletes worldwide. Jump higher, train smarter. Holla, bitch, sit down. Holla, little bitch. Holla,